0: Come today to worship you, for you are the victorious God who has conquered everything. And uh, we are here today because of who you are, for what you've done in our lives, and for what you desire to do in each of our hearts. We pray that that you will be pleased with our worship and that we will leave different than we've come through the power of your Spirit. And We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship today. What? It's great to see you as we worship together today and uh, pray God's blessing on each of your lives. There are a few things I want to highlight uh, in your bulletin. Uh, Tonight is the beginning of family camp, refresh camp on the Houghton College campus. And uh, you can see uh, it begins at 630 and there's a website there that gives you more information. Uh, You can also go up to the campus center and they'll have forms there. And uh, you're encouraged to participate in as much as you possibly can this week as a part of the camp. Uh, Also, uh, we're getting a little low on things for the food pantry. We've been helping a number of people as that is just an ongoing need. And so, if you can help with the food pantry, that'd be greatly appreciated. And you see information there about that as well. Uh, Also, I want to to mention to you, as uh, we spend in a few minutes, as we spend some time praying together, uh, Martha Nystrom, uh, former resident of the community, has recently had a surgery and is having some complications from that. So, we want to add her to our prayer concerns. We also want to pray for uh, Joanne Young and her family. Her father died uh, yesterday morning, and so we want to uh, to be in prayer for them and uh, at the time of grief and for the other needs and burdens uh, that we bring and that we're concerned about for our world. I want to invite you to uh, stand with me again as we sing together, hymn number forty-two.
1: Amen. you may be seated. Man, you people can sing, I'll tell you. There's nothing like filling the Houghton Wesleyan Church and hearing all the parts up here. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Just one little side note, I just want to thank all the Rapids players that have been with us this summer. I think you've contributed a great deal to this community. Hey, you've given us something to do, and uh, we've had three guys living with us, and these guys are real gentlemen, great kids, and And I wish God's blessing on you all. Uh, I think there's a group down here and maybe you're around. But I I know that the Lord goes with you as you go out into the world. And uh, you've meant a lot to us. Please join me in the Old Testament scripture reading. Isaiah 58. Shout it aloud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion. And to the house of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways. As if they were a nation that does what is right. And has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted they say and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for a man to humble himself? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying on sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke? To set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe him and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, Here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with a pointing finger and malicious talk, this is the word of the Lord please ushers come forward and help us with the ties and offering
0: Many uh, ways in which we can pray, many postures we can use when we pray. Sometimes it, it feels appropriate to stand when we pray, sometimes to sit, sometimes to kneel, sometimes to lay prostrate on the floor. The, the way we pray, the, the mode in which we pray is less important than our hearts as we come to pray. But sometimes it is helpful to kneel when we pray, and this morning. As we pray together, if you'd like to come and use the altar rail, kneel here or in one of the front chairs to offer your prayers, please come and join me. Eternal God, we are in awe of you. We are in awe of who you are and of what you have done, of your promises fulfilled and your promises made, of your presence, your faithfulness, your goodness. Father, we come today in worship and adoration that you are the God you declare yourself to be. So this morning as we come in prayer, we come in confidence knowing that you hear our prayers, that you are at work in the circumstances and situations about which we pray, and that we can trust you to always do what is right and good and best. This morning we pray for family camp. We thank you for this week of people coming together throughout western New York and probably beyond. Gathering to fellowship, to hear your word, to learn, to rest. We pray that this will be a magnificent week of the moving of your spirit. Father, we come today in prayer and ask for your grace upon the needs of our lives. We pray, Father, that you will give your blessing and your healing power upon all who suffer, all who are struggling today. We thank particularly of Martha Nystrom, Florence Tuber, Bunny Austin, Mike Raybuck, Jill Tyson, Bruce Brenneman, Bev Rett, Micah Christensen, Linda Roth, Dick Gould, Crystal Blake, Emily Crickler, and others who are on our hearts and our minds this morning. Father, we pray for all who are grieving. We think especially of Joanne Young and her family. We ask for your grace upon them at this time of death. We pray for others who have experienced a recent death. We pray for those who are marking the anniversary of a death or simply for our grief that comes from all kinds of ways of living in this fallen, broken world. And we ask for your comforting presence. Father, we pray for all who are lost and wandering, for all who feel hopeless and restless about life. May your presence bring hope and a sense of peace, and joy, and purpose. We pray for everyone who's in a time of transition, some by choice, some not. We ask for your grace, for your leading and guiding, for your presence in the midst of a time that can be filled with anxiety and uncertainty and fear and worry. Let your presence minister to every heart, to every restless. Anxious spirit. Father, we continue to pray for our world. A world of so much pain and distress, of famine and drought, of greed and lust for power, of evil and moral indifference in so many forms. We continue to pray for those recovering from the earthquake in Nepal and this long process of life being restored. We pray about other disastrous situations in the world. We pray for those places of violence and threats and war. We pray for your peace. Father, we pray for Ray and Mary Selden. We ask that you would help them as they finalize their support in going to Haiti. We pray that your grace would be upon them and that as they go, they would know your spirit with them and that they would see you doing great work through them. Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters throughout the world who face opposition and persecution. And we think especially of the church in Algeria, pastor and member of the church that were recently arrested. Lord, we pray that that you will watch over them, that you will... Protect them, that you will bring them freedom, and in the midst of their their imprisonment may they be a witness for you to people who desperately need to know you. Father, as the prophet proclaims, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever flowing stream, particularly in this world for those who are most helpless and innocent and vulnerable. And we pray for the leaders of the nations of the world. May they have your heart toward their people and toward all people. Father, thank you for your presence with us today. We pray that you will give us grace to live openly and expectantly in the hope of the resurrection and the life that is ours through our Lord Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen. Amen.
1: Just a reminder that during the hymn following the scripture reading, all children will be uh, invited to go to Children's Church. If you are able, please stand and join with me in the reading of the gospel this morning. I'll be reading from Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46, the sheep and the goats. clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you he will reply I tell you the truth whatever you did not do for the one of the least of these you did not do for me then he will go away to eternal punishment then they will go away to eternal punishment but the righteous to eternal life this is the word of the Lord please remain standing for the hymn to follow Thank you.
2: Seated. I, uh, I attended this church a lot of years before I came on staff, and I, I remember distinctly several times coming in and looking at the bulletin and realizing it was the youth pastor speaking, and kind of rubbing my hands in malicious glee. You know, I wonder what's going to happen to the poor sod today. That would be my thought. <laughs> oh, the irony, right? Here we are. Let's, let's open with a word of prayer. Father, we are grateful for your presence here with us, and we're grateful for your love for us, your great love. We pray today that you would open our hearts. May we hear from you this morning, Father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So our passage for this morning, in most uh, many translations, carries the heading, The Final Judgment, and in it, Jesus describes what will happen when he returns. I've been wrestling with this passage for, you know, over a month now. Ever since they called me, the Love Buffalo people called me and said, hey, would you speak on this passage at one of our rallies at Love Buffalo? And it's a tricky passage. In some ways, it's a scary passage. So at some point in the last week or two, in in trying to look at it from a different perspective, I said to myself, what is it about this passage that's so hard? Why is it so difficult? And that's when I wrote down the three things that we're going to The three headings we're going to use today. The first one is be ready. So first a little background. Jesus began his public ministry with that whole water into wine miracle, right? Which was really good for popularity. And he teaches and he heals the sick and he resurrects dead people and he feeds thousands of people with just a few fish and some loaves of bread. And occasionally he has debates with the religious leaders, the intellectual elite, And of course, he wins those debates, right? He's God. You can't beat him. And he becomes more and more popular. It's natural. People begin to flock to him. Over that three-year period, it just continues to grow. And all of a sudden, uh, it sort of culminates in the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, where people hail Jesus as the coming king. And now, it's five days or so later, just two days before Jesus will go to the cross. And when you read Matthew you get a real sense that for Jesus, something is a little bit different, right? His tone and his language have shifted a little bit. He knows he doesn't have much time left. He's trying to prepare his disciples for what's ahead. In chapter 23, Jesus has this run-in with the Pharisees and, uh, and you know, those religious uh, leaders. And, and he lays it out for them. He doesn't hold anything back. He gives it to them straight, right, about the evil that they've perpetrated on society. It's like he knows, it's time now. I don't have to hold back. And his language is apocalyptic. Then we come to chapter 24, and Jesus and the disciples are walking past the temple. And the disciples are commenting on the, the beauty of the temple and, and the buildings. And Jesus says, you know what? This is all going to be destroyed. Completely destroyed. Not one stone left on another And this, of course, is absolutely unthinkable to the average Jewish person. So the disciples get Jesus alone, and they ask him in horrified tones, when is all of this going to happen? And Jesus begins to tell them about the end times. In the end, he says, there will be wars and famines and earthquakes and false prophets. You will be persecuted. It's going to be a time of massive turmoil. And he says to them, keep careful watch. Because when you see all these things happening, you will know that the time of my return is very near. Nobody knows when that 's going to be. You need to be ready i 'm going to come like a thief in the night. And so, as we come to the end of chapter twenty four and through most of chapter twenty five in order to emphasize that that theme, that be ready idea, Jesus tells three short parables: the first, the parable of a servant, a man goes on a long journey. Leaving a servant in charge of his home. If the servant remains faithful, all will be well. He'll be rewarded. On the other hand, Jesus says, What if the servant is evil and thinks, My master won't be back for a while, and he begins beating the other servants, partying, and getting drunk? In that case, the master will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In the parable of the ten bridesmaids, we have a similar theme. The bridegroom has been delayed to the wedding feast. Five of the bridesmaids are prepared. They have extra oil so their lamps will not run out. But five did not. When they get the word that the bridegroom is approaching, the five who are not ready must go out to buy more oil. Unfortunately, while they are gone, the wedding party arrives Everybody goes into the wedding feast and the door is locked. Then Jesus says, Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, Believe me, I don't know you. So you too must keep watch for you do not know the day or hour of my return. Again, be ready. Finally, the parable of the talents is about a man who's going on a long journey and he leaves large sums of money with three of his servants. Upon his return, servants one and two have both, through hard work and investment and a little bit of risk, they've both doubled their money and they're rewarded. The third servant, however, he buried his money for safekeeping. He's able to return the full amount, but this is unacceptable to the master who is expecting some return on his investment. He calls the servant wicked and lazy and he says... Take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the ten bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Again, be ready. These are the parables that lead into our passage today. Jesus finishes the parable of the talents and he says, you know, it feels like in the next breath, when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. The master is going away on a long trip, but he's coming back. We need to be ready. The bridegroom is almost here. And when he gets here, there will be an accounting. And as we've just read, the stakes are high, right? On one side, we have weeping and gnashing of teeth. That doesn't sound very good. And on the other side, we have the marriage, the wedding feast of the Lamb. In addition, this accounting will have something to do with the way that the nations treat those in need. In this short passage in Matthew 25 that was just read to you, these six activities are listed by Jesus Four different times. Feed the hungry. Give water to the thirsty. Welcome and house strangers. Clothe the naked. Care for the sick. Visit the imprisoned. Four times. And let me just name the the scary elephant in this particular room, okay? In these few verses... The difference between the sheep and the goats doesn't seem to have anything to do with any finer points of theology. There's no mention of correct belief, of sin, or even of Jesus' atoning work on the cross. Righteousness and right standing with God are characterized here solely by the sheep's actions with regard to those in need. How does that make you feel? Me too, right? Me too. And while I think there's a little bit more to the story, I'm reluctant to too quickly relieve any angst that we might be feeling about this time. God's heart for those in physical need is clearly seen across the span of the scriptures. And in every case, faith and the designation of being God's people are inextricably linked to the actions of alleviating suffering in the world. You cannot separate them. It's kingdom work. And God's people do this work as a natural outgrowth of who they are. Maybe even without conscious thought. So let's come back to this idea in just a minute. Number two. In verse 40 and 45, Jesus says, Whatever you have done to the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you have done it to me. This phrase has been bothering me for a couple weeks now. Jesus is talking about caring for his disciples. Does this mean he's excluding others that are outside the faith? Uh, The Youth Association of Rochester, some of you are familiar with them. They're made up of a bunch of churches in Rochester, but there are four anchor churches of which we are one, okay? Houghton Wesleyan, uh, very rural, obviously, mostly white Wesleyan denomination. There's also, another one is an inner city uh, Latin church, a Spanish church, right? They used to be disciples of Christ. Now they're, something their own denomination thing but services in spanish right this is a a latin church the other one another one the third one is an african-american church and the name of the church is pentecostal miracle deliverance christian center church pmdccc for short and uh their services are rocking let me tell you i've been to them and then the fourth one is the rochester christian chinese church very conservative, services in Mandarin and English. At a recent planning meeting, the leaders of these four churches were sitting around a table. We just had dinner together and we were talking about potential speakers for an upcoming event. And uh, I, you know, I was eating my dessert, just listening to the conversation, right? And uh, somebody said, well, we had a Latin guy at that one not too long ago. And someone else said, well, we had a black guy at the last one. And, and then someone said, well... I think we should have a white guy at this next one. And suddenly they were all looking at me. And I had my fork like halfway to my mouth, you know, and I was like, and into that moment of silence, Sister Brown said, you know any white people? <clears throat> and I, I said, no, no, I don't, no. Actually, uh, what I said was, wait, why do we need a white guy? And at that moment I learned a very important Spanish phrase Which has been become kind of a life motto for me Someone said in Spanish Porque arroz blanco va con todo We need a white guy because white rice goes with anything right? So It was good White rice goes with anything So anyway I love our connection with the YA for a lot of reasons But one of the most significant things is this. Despite the theological and racial and economic barriers and divisions that exist between us, we still have fellowship. Despite the worship style differences, which are huge, the cultural issues, the language barriers, even the dreaded political issues right that, that could divide us, we still worship Jesus together. All of those barriers are significant and they divide people all over the world all the time. But we choose to love each other. We collectively are the body of Christ. And I think by saying brothers and sisters of mine, Jesus is emphasizing that critical kingdom distinctive. They will know we are Christians by our love for one another. If one of the angels asks Jesus right before he comes down, hey Jesus, Who are you going down there to get again? What's that group of people? He might say, You know, I'm going to go get that group of people that really genuinely love and care for and take care of each other in my name. You know, the sheep. I'm going to get the sheep. This is not to say, of course, that we shouldn't love those outside the faith. Of course, we should. It just means that this is where we start. Paul says in Galatians 6 whenever we have opportunity, we should do good to everyone especially those in the family of faith. So then, my brothers and sisters, let's not worry so much about being ready. Instead, let's just be sheep. As a youth group, we've been running around western New York over the last two or three weeks doing service projects and being at Love Buffalo, painting houses for people and and things like that. In fact, there was a week there at the end of June, the beginning of July, where I got seven requests for assistance from the the youth group in about uh, 10, 10 days. You can be proud of our young people. They tend to serve cheerfully and willingly and enthusiastically. And on one of those projects, as we were finishing up, I asked the group, why do we do this stuff? Why do we go around helping people around us? And one person said, well, because we're nice people. Another said, because we want to help. And another said, because it makes Jesus happy. And then, one hardworking, energetic, usually quiet young man said, we do it because of what Jesus did for us. Yeah, that's it, right? He nailed it. It's gratitude, not guilt. God's people, the sheep, are so grateful for what he has done for us through Jesus that it colors everything we do and everything we see around us. Notice something in verse 37. What's the response when Jesus tells the sheep what they've been doing for him? What's the response? Go ahead, someone say it. What's that? Yeah, they don't know, right? They're like, what? When did we see you? We, don't, we didn't see you doing that. They didn't know it was him. They, they weren't trying to reach some quota, of people fed or clothed. They weren't trying to accumulate enough prison or hospital visits to fill the thermometer and ring the bell and make God happy. There's no sense of a motivation by guilt or obligation or fear. God's people are motivated by love. I think that Jesus is not saying, do these works and you will be a sheep. What he's saying is, this is how you can tell a sheep from a goat. These are are the characteristics of sheep this is how I'll recognize my people they will know you are christians by your love for one another so my appeal to you and to me today is to live like sheep god demonstrated his great love for us by sending jesus to die for us and as first john 4:16 says we know how much god loves us and we have put our trust in his love let's live in that understanding From that place of abundance, living in community with our brothers and sisters and meeting each other's needs is simply an outgrowth of who we are. We are able to give out of the fullness of God's grace to us rather than from a fear of punishment or a sense of obligation. I pray that this will be so in our community. Amen.
3: stand. And with the everlasting kindness, lavished on us, with the radiance of heaven, came to rescue the lost, you called the sheep without a shepherd, to leave their distress, for your streams of forgiveness, and the shade of With compassion for the hurting, you reached out your hand. As the lame ran to meet you, and the dead breathed there. Now behind the eyes of sorrow, and shedding a tears, heard the sigh of the weary, let the children draw near.
2: shown us boundless love and fathomless grace. May you go this week and live in that love. Amen.